We hope you enjoy listening to this podcast of St. Louis on the Air, brought to you by University College at Washington University. With undergraduate and graduate programs, part-time, evening, and online. University College at Washington University, offering world-class education within reach. Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Mars. Today we're getting details on a very much 21st century program at Washington University. It's a risk assessment training project called At Risk, using virtual reality to help staffers recognize signs of anxiety, depression, and potential suicide among students. Joining me to take a closer look at this project are Jordan Worthington, Assistant Director for Mental Health Outreach and Programming at Washington University. She was partially responsible for the initiation of this program. Dr. Cherie LeBlanc is Executive Director of the Hobbit Health and Wellness Center at Washington University. And Glenn Albright is Director of Research at Cognito, the health simulation company responsible for at risk. He joins us by phone. Thank you all so much for being here. Good to have you. Thank you. Jordan, let me begin with you. Can you give me kind of an overview of the need for a program like this at WashU? Sure. Well, we've found that today, I think it's no secret that... Um, awareness and demand for mental health services on college campuses is growing. And so we wanted to find a way to, bearing in mind that we know that a lot of students who are experiencing emotional distress might not seek help, we want to find a way to widen the safety net for those students. So they might not feel comfortable going to a mental health care provider based on whatever situation they might be coming into college with, but they might feel more comfortable talking to a faculty member or a staff member, someone that has more day-to-day interactions with them. So we wanted to make sure that we found a way for the people in those roles to feel confident and comfortable having tough conversations with students. Shiri, why is this an issue uh, that seems to be growing? Do you have any sense of that? Sure. I wish there was a simple answer to that, Don. I think it's um, it's really a multifactorial um, concern. I think overall what we've seen is in um, a decrease in the stigma of mental health. So more students are feeling comfortable coming forward and asking for help with their uh, mental health concerns. We're seeing more students um, now because mental health has been, you know, just the advances in treatment, students that may not have been even... Um, aware or, or or being able to start in college because of their mental health concerns because they've gotten good treatment are now at a point where they are certainly welcome and thriving on, on college campuses. Um, but I also think there's um, there's been a lot of um, talk and a lot of studies that look at um, social media and, and what it's done to um, the, this particular generation, um, a decrease in people being able to have good social face-to-face interactions, people feeling um, in that generation, even though they're socially connected online, um, less connected. Um, I think as a as a, in a person to person relationship, and then we always um, kind of come back to um, as a mother of three college age students, um, let's blame the parents. But um, <laughs> but we look at you know parenting and and um, in such good intentioned parents looking at at making sure that they've been able to um, pave the way for their students to succeed, um, and students have had less chance to um, practice and hone resiliency skills, and so sometimes. 
sometimes the everyday stressors that they face, um, they'll face for the first time in college. Um, and and uh, it's very difficult for them to, to handle because they don't have that background of, of um, experience. You know, this whole issue of the uh, social media interaction mm-hmm. or lack thereof is worthy of a program or oh, two all by, it, all by itself. It is. It's really making itself uh, felt. How, how do you see it, Jordan? I see it as... In, in one way, it's great for students to be able to connect with one another and maintain ties with friends who have gone off to different universities. But on the other side of that coin, we have this unhealthy sense of comparison that social media breeds. And I hear a lot of students talk about, you know, we try and remind ourselves that our social media, our Instagram feed, because Facebook isn't cool anymore among Mm -hmm. college-age students, but um, our Instagram feed is just the highlight reel of our life. But it's really hard to remember that when you're scrolling through and it looks like everyone else is having an amazing time in college and they've made all these cool new friends. And are they cooler than the friends you had in high school? Am I as cool as them? Are the friends that I'm making... You know, how do they compare to the friends of my friends from high school? And you forget that behind that one picture that someone has posted, there's probably 200 pictures that didn't make the cut. And you're not seeing when someone is stressed, when they're sleep deprived, when they're not taking care of themselves. And so we have the comparison. You forget that it's not real. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very much manufactured. That's uh, one aspect of today's high-tech world. And uh, uh, Glenn Albright, you're working on another. Give us some sense of how this whole at-risk virtual reality thing works. Well, the at-risk for faculty and staff uh, really prepares faculty to have the skill and the self-confidence to be able to identify those students that were mentioned as being in stress or sleep-deprived or disheveled those students that are experiencing you know, a problem, and then to be able to create a safe enough environment where they can engage in a conversation with that student using evidence-based communication strategies to be able to determine what the problem is and then to be able to motivate them to seek help. Now, this is really accomplished by placing the faculty or staff member in a virtual environment where they actually role play with virtual students that uh, are coded with emotions and memory and personality, and they'll react like a real student in psychological distress. So it's by practicing these role plays and receiving feedback from a virtual coach along the way that that faculty and staff, they really learn the the skill, the knowledge, and the self-confidence to have these what can be really difficult conversations with students in real life. That's the way the program, in a nutshell, operates. You know, when I think of virtual reality, I think of someone wearing a headset and, and goggles and what have you. What, what are these people seeing when uh, they're going through this process? Well, they're assuming the role of an avatar, and then they're actually speaking to a virtual human, in this case a virtual student, who has all the nuances, the language, the behavior of a real human being, in this case a student in psychological distress. The environment is, is representative of the actual environment where these conversations will take place. Uh, for example, the faculty member's uh, uh, office 
And the entire conversation is crafted by really getting the knowledge of nationally renowned subject matter experts and beta testing it with hundreds of end users to be able to really create a very realistic virtual environment and a simulation that allows them to gain the knowledge and skill to have these difficult conversations. So I just want to be absolutely clear on this. Uh, We're talking about an avatar, a virtual reality situation that does not involve an actual student who might be have a mental issue. No, it doesn't involve a real student that has a mental issue, but it involves a computer-generated online virtual student that offers you the opportunity to try various communication tactics to see, first of all, to make that student feel comfortable in opening up, to create a safe environment, and actually gives you practice at using various techniques to be able to to elicit the problem and, and to make a referral to the counseling center. It is really very, very unique type of simulation technology that's uh, driven by a game engine that allows uh, users you know, to gain exactly the skill they need to be effective, uh, what we call gatekeepers in, in, in higher education. Cherie right. LeBlanc, does it work? I think so. We've, we've certainly had some very good feedback from um, faculty and staff that have taken it. Um, and honestly, I think that this particular format is really promising because we've tried um, a few other programs over the years at Washington University. Um, it's hard to get um, folks, you know, to come to a training that's an all-day training on one specific day. This allows um, faculty and staff, honestly, to access this at any time on their own time. Um, they can practice before um, a potential meeting. So again, it's it's that real hands-on skill. Um, and we've certainly had good feedback. It's a it's a evidence-based program. Um, and certainly, I think Glenn can speak more to the research behind it. But, uh, but I think it's been um, a wonderful addition to our campus. Uh, Jordan, you've had um, some 250 test runs, I guess we might call them on yes. this. What, what is your take on what you've seen in terms of results? In terms of results, well, we've launched the program in early September, so we're about six weeks in, so I think it's hard to say anything definitive. Has but it been it, implemented with uh, with any actual students? Well, we, I think some, some faculty members have told us that it's helped them feel more confident in interacting with students, and we're just getting to that point in this mm-hmm. semester where it's midterm season, and some of the, the signs of, of real intense stress are starting to show. So this is about the time in this semester where we would say that the rubber hits the road with these skills. Mm -hmm. But we find that the people who did take part in the simulation really appreciate that they learned new skills or it maybe clarified their thinking and what techniques they were already using in interacting with students who were experiencing distress. And we also found that one of the things they appreciated most was that it didn't these are hard conversations to have and sometimes you think oh well it would be really great if i had more training in mental health or like if i was a therapist mm-hmm. i'd be better at having these conversations but the great thing about this program is you don't have to be a therapist to have these conversations you just need to know these basic skills that Glenn mentioned mm-hmm. and to be able to use them and know when to re- know know when your expertise ends and you need to refer out. 
Sheree, who initiates these conversations? Um, I believe during the, the simulation, um, the most the the simulation is um, a a meeting between a student and the and the faculty member. I think the faculty member might have brought the person in, mm-hmm. yes. um, the student in, just to have a, a meeting. And so usually it starts with um, with the faculty member saying. You know, thanks for coming in. I wanted to talk to you about X, Y, Z, um, and they can choose kind of how to even start that conversation and what path they go down. So, if a, if an instructor uh, sees a student that uh, he or she suspects might have a problem, they can mm-hmm. call that student in, take advantage of what they have learned through this uh, simulated training to mm-hmm. maybe get a better handle on the student. Yeah, right. or it might be that a student has reached out to a professor mm-hmm. because they're experiencing a lot of mm-hmm. stress and. And this could be a good time for a professor to have that conversation with a student. Then what? You have the conversation and the training uh, indicates that uh, there may be a problem with this uh, youngster. Then then what happens? At the end of the simulation, people, so faculty and staff members of, of WashU are provided a resource list. And so they know what resources are available and how to provide information to the student to um, be able to make an appointment with our mental health services. I would, I would think there'd be some occasions perhaps where the students might actually resent this kind of, uh, this kind of involvement. Sherry, mm-hmm. uh, you, you're nodding. Yeah, well, I think, and, and it's what I like about this particular training too, because I, I feel the um, students are, are pretty realistic. And, and I think Glenn can also speak to this in that, you know, um, we, they are going to uh, come across with some resistance. And, in fact, that's part of the training and, and how do you respond to that and then what do you do. Um, you know, I think, honestly, when we look at the statistics of, of um, you know, suicidality on campus and when we look at um, risk, many of these students have never set foot in, in, a, in the mental health services. And so um, the whole purpose of this particular type of training is really to allow those people who the student may be interacting much more frequently with to recognize that there may be and just to, you know, to approach them in a way that actually takes down some of that resistance, allows mm-hmm. them to relax, kind of open up. And it may not be the first time. It may be, a, you know, a follow-up meeting. It may be another time, but it, it allows um, more people on our campus to, to just be aware of um, how to approach a student and hopefully get them the help that they need. Glenn, coming back to you with regard to uh, how this all e- evolved, uh, who, writes the, who writes the programs, for instance, and, and, and how did you get into this? Okay, so uh, in terms of where it evolved, many, many, many years ago out of the Virginia Tech uh, uh, event that occurred where a number of students were murdered and all the evidence showing that they, they missed an opportunity or several opportunities to intervene. Uh, and we know that faculty members are incredibly able to, to uh, uh, provide gatekeeping skills, uh, but about 60% say that they are totally unprepared. Uh, and we find that 95% want to assume the role. So there was a definite need for the program. Uh, and, and the use of virtual characters is a superb way of making the training uh, uh, available and effective because when you and I start interacting with a virtual character, we're less likely to feel judged, we're more likely to open up, 
and being that you have to role-play these conversations to get really good at it with students, when you're virtual role-playing, there's less social evaluative threat. That, that means you are reducing the anxiety that people normally feel when they're learning by role-plays in front of peers or instructors. That reduced anxiety results in a reduction in what we refer to as cognitive load, which kind of frees you up to drive the, drive the learning home. So in terms of actually authoring these simulations, we, there are dozens of instructional designers, animators, people that are encoding, subject matter experts, and of course the end users all give you feedback. It begins with a very comprehensive and iterative needs analysis to define the problem, to look at the uh, intrinsic motivation to, to get the learners to stay involved and be involved, to uh, examine all the factors that inhibit learning and then account for them. Uh, so this simulation, you know, it takes uh, a good four to six months uh, to, to really to, to be developed and launched and to be followed by a, a rather comp uh, comprehensive evaluation. What have you learned uh, in the time you've been doing this about the effectiveness of this whole process? Oh, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, uh, the simulation that we're talking about now, uh, we have a sample size of over 40,000 people. And when you look at uh, behavior change that you mentioned uh, a, a little while ago, in the three-month follow-up, we see uh, significant increases in the number of students that were identified as in psychological distress, number of students that were approached and talked to, and a significant increase in the number of students that were referred to the counseling center or support services. It's incredibly effective. Jordan, I wonder if there isn't a liability issue in the midst of all of this. Uh, perhaps, a, a, I'll call it a diagnosis, it's not that, but if, a, if an instructor sees something. And really what we're talking about here is just a normal kind of stress that college students would experience that would be average, let's say. Isn't there a danger that uh, the, the, an overture could be made in the part of the instructor that the student would resent and then perhaps uh, take legal action? That's a good question. <laughs> um, that is – and, Glenn, if you have examples from other universities, yeah. I welcome them. I would say that one of the good things about the program is that it definitely de-emphasizes any – need to diagnose. And that's that's not a part of the training at all. It's just I notice that you seem really stressed. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I know that it's it's useful for other students to to talk to someone about this or to seek care. And so it doesn't train people who take the program to to make such leaps as to say it looks like you have anxiety or it looks like you have depression. And just encourage people to seek help. And, and I would hope that that wouldn't be a need for um, being litigious. I think the one instance is that um, it, if the instructor or staff member notices that there is some suicidal ideation in the student or they disclose that, I think ethically and legally someone, or I'm not sure about legally, but ethically someone is, is, should, should be mandated to make sure that that person seeks care immediately. So we would, I suppose, rather err on the side of caution and make sure that we are, lives are being saved rather than 
the opposite. Sharia, you have any thoughts on that? Mm-hmm. I think it's an it's an interesting question. Um, for the most part, this is really um, the program itself is really made to um, encourage students to to seek help. It's not in you know it's not a um, you must go because um, otherwise I'm not going to you know give you an A on your test or, you know, in, in that way, it, it really is more looking at, um, you know, something to, to be a resource and the student would be, could take it or leave it. It's really their choice. I think you're right when it gets to, um, to be, um, it gets a little more tricky and then I don't know that that really would have come up and Glenn may be able to speak to that, whether there have been cases of um, acute suicidality and feeling that in that way, um, mandating someone to, to seek care and at least um, be safe. But um, it's an interesting question, I guess. Uh, we'll Glenn, see where it goes. Glenn, yeah, do you, so, can you address that, please, in about a minute? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, between the one million plus users that have uh, completed the K-12 and higher ed simulations. There's never been uh, a case where that we're aware of where that has occurred. And in part, it's because the, the learning model uh, really emphasizes uh, the use of motivational inter- interviewing strategies, which is a type of uh, communication, evidence-based communication strategy that it involves just asking open questions and summarizing what's being said to you by the student, and part of it is, involves emotional regulation, empathy, and you're really providing a safe environment for the student to feel comfortable opening up. You do not diagnose. You do not judge. You just allow your, the student to be able to share what's going on with the, in their life so you can help them. And, and then to make a, a type of warm handoff, a warm referral. And, and um, I almost think that it would be negligent uh, not to have this training uh, if you have a student who is you know, potentially depressed or suicidal or experiencing a high degree of anxiety. Let me, let me, that let, let me stop you there. I'm afraid I have to inter- interrupt because our time is up. Fascinating stuff. It's 21st century stuff. Uh, thank you all so much for being with us. Jordan Worthington, uh, Sharita LeBlanc, and Glenn Albright. Thank you. Thanks, Don.